These are statements that we're seeing here that John is writing by the inspiration of the Spirit that is God's reality about Christians. And he wants us in our often negative self-worth and how we think about ourselves to be more conformed to his reality of who he says we are in the gospel. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor and here with my co-host, Pastor Daniel. It's good to be with you, brother. Good to be here, brother. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. We're going to look at the evening sermon that you brought to Ontario URC this past Sunday. And what was the scripture passage that you opened up for us? And what was the main point? Yes, we've been going through First John and Pastor Taylor and myself have been sharing this series. And we looked at First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It's a little section in this portion of John, but it's a beautiful kind of packed section uh, that's really kind of gospel saturated. Mm. And one of the main things we unpacked from there was um, this idea of Christian or biblical self-esteem as we looked at those passages. And um, we saw from that passage that uh, because of the gospel, we are forgiven we are known and we also know God and we are also victorious in Christ. All of this by faith and uh, living communion with Jesus. So that was kind of the main focus from First John 2 and 12 through 14. That's great. That's great. Remember when you first shared with me the title of your sermon, that was a fascinating title. How did you come up with that title as you looked at the passage? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, I think there was, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but he, he wrote a book. It wasn't on Christian self-esteem, but it had that um, aspect in one portion of his book. And it always kind of stuck with me. And then we're looking at this passage and thinking about how it relates to how we think about ourselves. I thought that that was kind of a, a nice connection, especially in our culture, when there's a bit of a self-esteem movement. It's helpful to think about, you know, what are some good things about that? And then what are some you know unhelpful things about that? And how does this passage you know, maybe help us think about what a Christian view of self-esteem looks like. We, I remember we had a good discussion about that last week as well when we were kind of talking about the text together and thinking about, you know, trying to create a reality for ourselves versus being conformed to God's reality and to what he says about us in the gospel. And it was a fruitful discussion. That's great. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I'm sure we'll dive into that a bit more and unpack uh, all that that means. As we look at this passage, um, there's not really... Well, there is vivid imagery here, but it's also interesting how uh, John breaks away from prose and enters into sort of a poetic style. And so what do you make of that? And what is this vivid imagery that we find in the text here? And what what do you think the effect of all that is? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, he before this section, he's talking about the litmus test of love and how, you know, the Christian is marked not by his private experience of the divine, but through public love, we we can know that we know God. And he says some heavy stuff there about if we hate brothers and sisters in our hearts, then we're still walking in the darkness. So that's a heavy thing. And then after this portion of scripture, he's going to talk about not loving the world or the things of the world. And if we if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. So those are both kind of hard pills to digest for the Christian. Mm. And then in between that section, though, he gives us this beautiful section um, that is really gospel saturated and kind of, I think, just gives us this um, ability to remember, um, you know, who we are in Christ and the forgiveness that we have in him. You know, the the fact that we truly do know God and that we you know, are victorious. These are things that we need to be reminded of when we hear the hard stuff, because we often wonder, right, have we loved the Lord enough and have we served him faithfully enough? Are we really walking in his commandments enough? And we might doubt ourselves, right, because 
if we look at ourselves, we, we have a lot of reasons to doubt. Mm. And so I think it's a, just a helpful um, portion that John brings up to encourage us in the midst of some of the difficult teaching that he has. But, you know, to be honest, I don't really know why he breaks out into the poetic form here um, <laughs> and, and takes away from the prose. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I think it's it's beautiful. It's obviously God inspired. But, right. um, yeah, the Lord's wisdom in that is still a bit of a mystery to me. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that part, brother? No, I think what you've said so far is really helpful. I, I think it does reveal the pastoral tone of mm. John here. That's as you're point. saying, yeah. he's he's writing to the church these are beloved saints that he's ministered to most likely and preached to and so he's sensitive to how they might have received that those hard words of that litmus test and then the ones that are up and coming and we see kind of this tenderness and this Mm. uh love that he displays here and maybe maybe because of that you know tenderness and love and affection is sometimes better expressed in poetic form and so maybe that's perhaps yeah. why he that's breaks out point. in poetry there so i love that pastor's heart pastor's heart yes yeah. that's right and he in this poetic style he refers to well his audience mm-hmm. the readers or the listeners mm-hmm. as little children as fathers young men children and again fathers and young men so what do you what do you make of that what is he mm-hmm. doing who is he referring to etc that's a great question there's there is uh, differences in in uh, interpretation among commentators even those who are really you know faithful to just unpacking the text and I, I take it to refer primarily to different phases of our spiritual development uh, but often those phases of spiritual development are connected to our physical age right you know new believers uh, can sometimes be little children who are growing up in the faith and you know blossoming in the things of God and so they need to be reminded of certain things. Uh, fathers who are more mature in the faith might have, you know, um, certain challenges in their particular season of life. And young men who are in the thick of life's battles and, you know, growing in the Lord might need to hear a specific word. So I, I kind of take these categories to refer to phases of spiritual development. Um, however, I think that's often connected with uh, our physical age as well. Mm. Children at a young age are yeah. at a lower often a lower stage in their walk with Christ as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. And so there's yeah. that overlap. Like For sure. Saying. For sure. Whereas those who are, have spent many years in the faith and are actual fathers in life mm. tend to have yeah. more experience of walking with the Lord too. Right. Yeah. So there yeah. is, like you're saying that overlap with age yeah. and the spiritual stage of your discipleship and your walk yeah. with Christ. For sure. So yeah, that's, that's fascinating. It's helpful. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So how, Pastor Daniel, would you say that the truth of God's word here in this passage has been renewing and reshaping your heart? What ways does it comfort you? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, as you look at these different categories, I think, yeah, each one speaks to the Christian wherever they're at in their life. And each one speaks to me. You know, um, I love that that portion of the first point of how we are forgiven for his name's sake. It's just a reminder to my own heart that, when I come to the Lord in repentance, which is a, a desire to turn away from sin, right? And a desire to live for Christ. And even though that repentance is not perfect, this side of heaven, right? Even, I forget who said it once, that your repentance needs repenting of, mm-hmm. you know. But yet the ground of God's forgiveness of my sin is not the purity of my repentance, although it should be sincere. But it is 
that he forgives our sins for his name's sake, ultimately for the sake of what Christ has done for me. Yeah. And so that's just a tremendous encouragement that that's a, that's a foundation you want to build your life on, mm. that you're forgiven mm. of all of your sins in this life for the sake of Christ, right? And yeah. that encourages my heart tremendously because my walk is up and down with the Lord sometimes and, and I have my own doubts and struggles. And like every Christian, I struggle to believe God's love for me. And yeah. that's just a nice text yeah. that pulls me outside of myself to the Lord. That's great. Yeah. John says, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, not, mm. he doesn't say, your sins are forgiven because you're trying really hard hmm. or your sins are forgiven because you have repented and you're making progress. That's right. No, he says hmm. your sins are forgiven for this, for yeah. Christ's namesake, That's right. right? Based on the merits of Christ, what he has done for us. And that is so encouraging. Yeah. It's a bedrock of our Christian walk, right? Yeah. In yeah. what, what other ways? Yeah. And in, in, in the other point about how you, you know, the father, mm. right. And, um, that's such an encouraging point for John's day, right? It was because there was doubts about if they really knew God, if they didn't have this particular special experience of the divine, right? So he's trying to encourage these mature believers who have been walking with God. Mm. You know, you know the Father, like, and he later he'll he'll really drive home that point about you don't need anyone to teach you because, you know, his anointing teaches you all things. Ultimately, God's Spirit, and um, and that's an encouragement as well about like this side of heaven, we could we could truly know God. Right. Um, there's a lot of confusion, too, about about God, about ourselves, about, you know, God's principles and commands in this world. And, and I'm just so thankful that in Christianity, the Lord doesn't want his children living in the dark about, you know, who he is or about our purpose or how to live. But right now we could know God and we can know his ways. And that encourages my heart in a very confusing world. Right. To know that there is true knowledge out there of mm. God. Right. Mm. And it's found in his word. Yes, yes. It reminds me of uh, John Calvin's Institutes. In the very beginning, he talks about the importance of knowing ourselves properly um, as we approach God. And the only way that we can know ourselves properly is to know God. Mm. He says this, It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face mm. and then descends from contemplating God to scrutinize himself. Mm. And so we see that in order to properly understand who we are and have like as your, your the title of your sermon is a proper esteem of ourselves, mm. we first have to know God. And yeah. John's saying yeah. to believers, um, irregardless of how strong or weak our faith is, that as we look to God by faith yeah. in Christ, we know him. We That's know right. him who is yeah. or who was from the beginning. And there's great comfort in that. Mm -hmm. um, John Calvin also wrote this famous quote in that section without knowledge of self there is no knowledge of God our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves mm. but as these are connected by many ties it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other it's just fascinating mm. to see how he's yeah. showing the essential aspect of in order to know yourself rightly in order to know god rightly those two things are so tied together mm. and the way we get to know god and the way we get to know ourselves is through god's word his mm. communication to yeah. us yeah um just beautiful absolutely comforting yeah 
So we've talked about the forgiveness of sins for Christ's namesake, also knowing God um, by faith. What about this next portion where John talks about young men, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. Mm -hmm. What does he mean by that? That's good. Yeah, this last point in the sermon I made is that, you know, because of the gospel, we are victorious. And the overcoming of the evil one, I believe, is the overcoming of Satan and the powers of darkness and hell. And that is done not by how strong we are in ourselves, but it's done by a living faith in Christ, right? It's 1 John 5, I believe, verse 3, where um, our verse, verse 5, I think, of 1 John 5, where it says, um, starting in verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God, that's, you know, born again, right, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And there John is talking about overcoming the world, but I think the same principle is applicable here of overcoming the evil one. It's it's by faith. It's not by your faithfulness to God, mm-hmm. right? It's not by mm-hmm. who you are, but as you mentioned earlier, by faith we take hold of a strong Savior. I think it was John Owen who said, right, even a weak faith takes hold of a strong Christ. Yeah. And if you have true faith in Jesus Christ, then everything about him, his victory, his resurrection, Mm. his ascension, his reign, that you are hidden with Christ in God, right? So that victory is yours right now. Mm. And that's super good news because like when you're in the midst of the battle, Mm. you might wonder if you're going to have victory over sin, if you're going to build a battle the devil in this life, if you're going to overcome even even just the the curse of sin and the ways it affects our bodies, our our world. Mm. And John is giving these young men who are in the midst of the the battles of life, right in the thick of it, this assurance that right now they have the victory and it's in Christ, right? Yes, that's so good. Now, would you say that that that's tied into verse 14 where he picks up again addressing young men? He says, Mm -hmm. I write to you because you are strong and the word of God abides Mm -hmm. in you and you have overcome the evil one. It seems like the the strength that we have is tied to the word of God abiding in us, Mm -hmm. which connects us to Christ. So his word causes us to be born again, uh, gives us this union, a vital union Mm -hmm. with Christ. And it is through that union with him, him who is strong for us, that we overcome the evil one and the world's. Mm So our strength derives is derived from Christ Himself. Absolutely, it's a beautiful connection. Yeah, and I think that's right on. That the the strength that we have is described in this way. Yeah, God's word in us, in us overcoming that way. I mean, it reminds me of Jesus's own battle against Satan, and when he was tempted three times by the devil, mm. even the Son of God answered with the Word of God, yeah. right, and wielded yeah. that word that abided in Him richly against the lies of the evil one, right, cutting through those lies, and and that's where our strength is found right um in being connected to christ and having his word abide in us richly Mm, that's good that's a good word now as we continue to look into this uh, as and we think about the practical takeaways for different people Mm. in particular maybe let's try and talk about how people wrestle with self-esteem and many people in our culture young middle-aged and even seasoned saints, right, Um, struggle with their self-esteem. How does this passage really comfort us and how how can we really make this very practical for us? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, self-esteem, you know, deals with our own understanding of our value and our worth, right? How we kind of view ourselves and that that principle is very important. God 
that wants us to have, you might say, a positive self-esteem about who we are. Um, but the main difference of how, you know, we get positive self-image is, you know, in, in the world we might, you know, have to try to say certain things, try to create a reality for ourselves that, that you know, we're trying to conform to and how we think about ourselves or what we believe we should have or who we should be. And that can be terribly exhausting because mm. like we can't, we can't will something into existence ourselves. You know, what, what we always think isn't, you know, reality <laughs> about ourselves or our situation. But I think what we're seeing in this passage here is these are statements that we're seeing here that John is writing by the inspiration of the Spirit that is God's reality about Christians. And he wants us in our often negative self-worth and how we think about ourselves to be more conformed to his reality of who he says we are in the gospel. So it's kind of two different routes to take in one sense, right? You either try as an autonomous human being to create reality for yourself through whatever positive affirmations, believing a certain reality about yourself or the world and try to conform to that, which is exhausting because it all rests on you, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Or you rest in the promises that God declares over your life in Christ and you seek to be conformed to that good news that's outside of yourself, mm -hmm. but is something that is at work in you and bringing you to that true reality. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It makes me think back to that Calvin quote that if we're all alone trying to figure out who we are apart from God, then the only option we have is to, to try and come up with that self-esteem the way we see ourselves and mm. attributing value and meaning to our own lives or maybe trying to get it from other people. Yeah. But when we come to know God by faith, then we can see how or what he says of us mm. and that he who is the author of life, uh, he who is our redeemer, his word has that authoritative mm. declaration that confirms to us our true identity, our true value, yeah. our true meaning. Yeah. And so yeah, you cannot rightly know who you are apart from first knowing God and yeah. hearing what he says about us. And mm. this passage is saying what God speaks over us and what he has declared is true of us, yeah. right? Which is a good word. Yeah, and I think even if we claim to be kind of autonomous in the pursuit, like we really do value outside declarations, yeah. right? Yeah. Like even right. for the various groups today of people you know, um, you need you need to be affirmed, right? In your in your view of yourself, and you want a community of people that are going to affirm you and celebrate you. It's not enough for you just to believe that about yourself. Like you really do long for the world, the community, the culture to to celebrate you, to affirm you, right? And that principle, I think, is something that's built into us, which is actually a good thing. But we're, we're to go to God for that, right? Yeah, and right. Christianity is the only religion that 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 you get that identity from God and it's a gift and it's not something that you're trying to create and achieve for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. This whole discussion reminds me of the book that we read together as a church uh, now a couple years ago mm -hmm. um, for our, one of our Friday night fellowships, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Pastor Timothy Keller. Mm -hmm. And Keller, he says in that book, the problem with self-esteem whether it is high or low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. We're in the courtroom trying to um, win a verdict, mm -hmm. either from the world around us or from ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that's, like you're saying, it's burdensome. It's, uh, it's a weight that we carry. And he says that for every other religion and approach to life, 
performance leads to the verdict.、Mm. And so you have to perform. You have to meet a certain standard. You have to live up to other people's expectations in order to get that verdict. Yes, you're good. Yeah.、Um, yes, you've done enough, etc.、Yeah. Or even for yourself, you know, you、mm. set your own standard and you have to perform in order to reach that verdict. And Keller goes on to say that all this means that every day you're in the courtroom, every day you are on trial, and that is a problem with self-esteem.、Yeah. But the Apostle Paul is saying that in Christianity, and he's he's talking about a passage in First Corinthians,、mm-hmm. that in Christianity the verdict leads to performance.、Mm-hmm. Uh, the verdict that we receive、yeah. in the gospel, that like we hear in in this passage, that, that your sins are forgiven, that、yeah. you already know God the Father, that you have already overcome、mm-hmm. the evil one, our accuser, right?、Yeah. Uh, the verdict of the courtroom has already been declared over us in the gospel because of what Jesus、mm. has done for His name's sake.、Yeah. And so He says it's not the performance that leads to the verdict in Christianity. The moment we believe, God says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am、mm. well pleased."、Yeah. That that same declaration that Jesus received because of His performance、mm. is now declared over us,、mm. not because of our performance, but because of Christ's performance,、yeah. and we. Start with that verdict、yeah. and then perform out of that verdict.、Yeah. We leave the courtroom already declared、mm-hmm. forgiven and justified,、yeah. and that's such a freeing thing. It is,、right? yeah. It's it's only in Christianity do you get that, and only you know in this world that is very performative in so many ways do you get that good news, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And this keeps us from having an ego that's puffed up,、mm. right?、Um, Puffed up based on us looking at our own performance or our own achievements,、yeah. but instead it gives us an ego that can be filled up with、mm. the the joy of God's opinion of us, God's、yeah. estimation of us in the gospel,、yeah. and it fills us up、um, with the joy that yeah keeps us from thinking too much of ourselves、yeah. in that sense,、yeah. um, but rejoicing that we already have the opinion that matters most. That's right,、uh, God the Father's opinion、yes. of us in Christ. Yeah, and that's so freeing,、mm. liberating. Amen. And I think back to your question about like how this applies to people at different seasons of life and walks of life. I think wherever you're at, whether you're a new believer, you're in the thick of things, or you're a mature saint. We all need the gospel at every point of our life, and even just these statements. If we personalize them and just remind ourselves each morning, you know, I am a forgiven child of God for Jesus' sake, right? I am one who is deeply known by God, and by grace, I have come to know God in His Word, and I have already overcome the evil one. Even the sins that I'm battling with today will one day be history, and all of the the sin that I see around me, or the sin that's been done against me. Christ will deal with. I have overcome, you know, the evil one in His name, and these are just things that, whether we're new Christians who are right at the starting line or whether we're coming close to the edge,、uh, at the end of our race, right? These are these are gospel declarations that we we need every day.、Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, so true. This passage is an interesting one, and we've kind of touched on this a bit. But how does this passage and meditating on it give us a better understanding of who Jesus is for us? Yeah, I mean, this is、um, this is all connected to Jesus when we think about forgiveness and all of the all of the ways in which the Old Testament was longing for true satisfaction for sins. You know, Jesus is that once for all sacrifice. That has been offered to bring that forgiveness to us, true and full forgiveness. Right there doesn't have to be another sacrifice. 
Um, it's it's not even us and our and our penance, our our mm. atoning for our own sins. No, it's it's Jesus alone. It is finished, right? So that is what we rest in. When it comes to knowledge of God, Jesus said in John seventeen three, "This is eternal life that they know you, mm. the one true God, and yeah. Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Right? Jesus reveals the invisible God to us, and through Him we see the Father. We see the love of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God, right? Um, and obviously our victory over sin is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the ascension of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, his promise coming again, right? By union with him, we have this victory, right? Colossians 1, like our lives are hidden with Christ in God, right? So all of these things are intimately connected with a living faith in Jesus, right? And um, our union with Christ. That's beautiful. As you were talking about that, something hit me as I'm looking at the text too, that, you know, John, at this pastoral tone, he's saying, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He can only write about this Mm -hmm. to Christians um, because Christ was sent for those purposes, right? That's great, yeah. That the Son, in a sense, um, if this was Mm -hmm. written from the Son to us, from Christ to us, he would say... I, I came for you, little children, mm. in order that your sins would be forgiven Amen. for my name's sake. I came to yeah. you, fathers, so that you may know the one mm. who is from the beginning. I came to you, young men, uh, so that you may overcome the evil yeah. one. Um, Beautiful, yeah. And yeah, these, these declarations that John is making over us as mm. Christians are only um, able to be true because of what Christ has already That's done right. for us, That's as, right. you, as you showed us. Amen. That's great. Um, well, as we wrap this up, brother, which verse would you recommend from this this poem here to commit to memory, if one? I know it's hard to pick. I say it's a short poem, so memorize the whole thing. There you, you go. <laughs> the opening verse might be, you know, a nice one because it's short mm. and it's just a just a beautiful one. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Verse twelve. That is a beautiful one, and. One that we need to be reminded of every day, mm. that our sins are forgiven for the uh, sake of Christ's name. Uh, what a good word, mm. encouragement to me, brother. Thank you for your mm. sermon this past Sunday evening. And we pray and hope that as we've discussed this a bit more, um, that this conversation has been a blessing to anyone who might be listening. Uh, thanks for listening. and We'll bring you another midweek musing next week, Lord willing.